Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving with your family. And uh, I'm excited to be here with you in Advent. Can't believe it's here. And I have a sermon that I'm going to bring to you now from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23. And if you want to follow along, it's going to be on the screen or I'll read the text to you. And you can hear these words of our Lord from Jeremiah 23. Starting at verse 1 says this. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. So then, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of the countries where they had been banished, then they will live in their own land. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray that you would illuminate your word, that you would make us wise in learning what you have to teach us, Lord, from Scripture, that you would give us uh, growth in our discipleship? Would you give us growth in the areas in which uh, you are hoping that we would come to rely on you and to apply what you are teaching to every facet of our lives? Lord, what we can't do, you can. And we pray that you would do your work by the power of your spirit in us now. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. The scholar Walter Brueggemann writes that the prophet's job is to utter the unutterable. Meaning they have a really hard job to speak truth to power. And Jeremiah is probably the most uh, prominent example of this type of prophetic office and calling. Um, he was uh, a man who had many tears 
because of what he had to say and who he had to say it to. And he lived in a context where things were not going well. There was attacking armies on the horizon and he was trying to communicate this truth to both the religious leaders and the kings of his time. And yet, this was seen as controversial to the point where in Jeremiah 20, he is actually beaten and put in the stocks by another priest. So you can imagine a time where priests had fights and they beat each other up. This is how bad it was going for Jeremiah in his time. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, then he was given a death sentence. He was told that his words were so treasonous that he was to be put to death. And so a gang of priests got together and told him this. And then a king named Jehundi actually took the scroll that he had written, the scroll that he used to pronounce to the kingdom their fate, and he threw it into a fire and said, this is irrelevant. And then, of course, you probably know the most famous story is that one day he was uh, taken out and put in a cistern full of mud and left there for his words of truth to a kingdom that didn't want to hear it. Right in the middle of all of that, all this turmoil, um, both in in his personal life uh, that was coming from his courage to say what he needed to say from his calling that he got from God as a young man that he was fulfilling throughout the days of his life, no matter what the resistance he was experiencing. Right in the midst of that, he gets these visions, and one of them is the one that we just read, this this great symbol, this great theme that comes from an unlikely place right in the middle of a lot of tragedy. And the symbol we read, it's a symbol of hope. It's a symbol of a righteous branch. Now, I wish that there was a bunch of people that got together yesterday to make a illustration. Wouldn't it be good if somebody could have created an illustration, a sermon illustration for us to look at so then when we're looking at it, we could think of, oh wait, excuse me. Here's all of these branches, right? Everywhere we go, and thank you so much for the people that put all this together. It looks beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we we forget, right? We do the same thing every year. And, you know, so yesterday, uh, Katie and I and the kids went off to a parking lot where there was a bunch of Christmas trees, and, you know, we got... We selected our tree. It was, it's not like it is in other places where maybe you chop down a tree or uh, there's some snow and, you know, it was 70 degrees and beautiful outside. And uh, we picked a tree and we took it home and we decorated it. And it was wonderful. Uh, but, you know, the symbol of a branch and what does it mean? Why, do we all, why are we all going to get a tree and put it in our house? Why are these trees in our sanctuary? Well, I'm hoping that we're going to reclaim this symbol, the symbol of a righteous branch that Jeremiah speaks of that creates the life, creates the everlasting life that actually nourishes and speaks and cares to all of us about what is most meaningful in our lives.
And as we unpack our, our uh, ornaments each year with the kids, what last year was just a silly little craft that they did, the year after becomes a memory of the time in their life. One of my favorite ornaments that we have is actually of little baby Leo Severios, uh, who uh, uh, Oliver is a friend of mine. We've been friends since I started here at the church. And Leo now is all grown up. And at the time, they were sending out this ornament of uh, their baby and celebrating their baby in this way. And it's a reminder of a season that we had in life. And so we put it on the tree every year, little baby Leo. Even though we don't have the other kids, (laughs) we just have Leo. We put him on the tree. It reminds us of the seasons of our life. And it also reminds us that what in this season just feels like another Christmas eventually becomes this reminder again that God is faithful through every season. The righteous branch is here again with us. And may we pay attention to it. May we understand. May we unpack its meaning from the scripture so that we don't let other things define what, what God wants to define for us. There are actually 19 words in Hebrew for branch. And uh, the Hebrew has all kinds of nuance when it talks about uh, branches and what they mean, little branches, big branches, all this kind of thing. I want to teach you two that are used most uh, predominantly, two big themes of branches, okay? I have a slide that's going to teach us so the first is am i cutting out i can move over sama sprout growth branch the theme here is hopeful excitement one place is in isaiah 4, verse 2 in that day the branch sama the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. Here, I'll move to this one. This better? Okay. And then there's Nasser. Nasser also is very similar. It speaks of the sprout of the branch. Hold on. There it is. The sprout of the branch, but the distinction is that it's vulnerable and unimpressive. Here's a place where it's spoken of in Isaiah 11. It says, the shoot will come Uh, from the stump of Jesse, from his roots, a branch, and this is Nasser, will be fruitful. Jesse is David's father, and so it's speaking of lineage here, speaking of this, this family tree. Actually, we get the imagery of a family tree coming from this picture of the Old Testament, from Isaiah, from Jeremiah, speaking of a hopeful word, not a nostalgic word, but a hopeful word about what is coming, the coming saving one, the coming 
Messiah, the king who will rule. Uh, This is picked up in an interesting way in the New Testament in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. um, Philip has met Jesus and he's trying to teach Nathaniel about what he has just encountered in Jesus. And so Nathaniel has this judgment about what he's being told about Jesus. He is like, Jesus can't be who you say he is because of where he's from. It's Jesus from Nazareth. And he knew that that was a little nowhere podunk town that did not matter. In fact, the word Nazareth, many scholars point out, is also derived from this word, Nasser, meaning branch. And so Nazareth was known as a town of little tiny twigs, little tiny, meaningless, unimpressive twigs. These little branches growing in a nowhere town, nowhere noticeable, this backwater place. And yet what was growing in this forgotten place, this place that was judged for being backwater and unimpressive, was the source of all life. The righteous branch was coming from these little twigs town And even more so, lurking beneath the surface of most of Scripture. And if you're really studying Scripture, this is one of the most interesting things that you could do, is just keep going deeper and deeper into a theme to see what's actually in the writers of Scripture's mind as they carry the story into a new season, into a new context, into a new circumstance, but draw on the same themes And so the formative place where a branch would have lived in the mind of a good uh, student of the Hebrew scriptures would have been Exodus chapter 15. This is a story where Moses had led the Israelites out of the desert, uh, uh, excuse me, through the Red Sea, and then they're in the desert of Shur. They're there for three days traveling in this desert with no water, And then they finally get to a place where there's a stream. You can imagine if you haven't drank for three days and you discovered that there's a stream that would make you extremely happy. The problem was that when they drank from the stream of Moriah, the water, it says, was bitter. And so it was even more cruel that now they had been wandering in the wilderness and they go to drink from the stream and they expect to be quench their thirst, and instead they find only bitterness. And so they do what people do, and they go to their leader, Moses, and they complain. And they say, Moses, what are we to drink? And the Lord cries out, I mean, Moses cries out to the Lord. He cries out and he prays. And then the Lord shows him a little piece of wood. And he tells him to throw it in the water. And it says in Exodus 15 that the water became sweet, that the water became fit to drink. And so the image here is how the branch can turn bitterness into sweetness. 
And it is an allusion in Scripture to our great branch, which hangs every Sunday above us. And I love the imagery of the cross and then the branches. The cross that makes the branches possible. The cross that makes life possible. The cross that makes the family tree, the family of God possible. That has the ability to turn bitterness into sweetness. One of my favorite hymns is Joyful, Joyful. I'm sure we'll sing it at some point. It's written by Henry Van Dyke, a good Presbyterian in the turn of the last century. And the words go like this. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, open to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. It's as if, if we just are near Jesus, that there's something like a bloom that takes place in us. When we're around light and goodness and beauty and joy and hope, all that flow in some mysterious way from the center of all things from Jesus Christ, that we can't help but grow and become healthier and become the kind of healthy people that the world so desperately needs. One of the allusions to this that we see most clearly from Jesus himself is in John chapter 15, where Jesus teaches us that he is the vine and we are the branches. And it's our job to remain in him. And if we do that, then we can bear much fruit. And apart from that, we can't. We, we can do nothing. And there's a way in which the imagery here is that we all start off as dead branches. But there's a grafting that's possible, that there's this growing, beautiful, and magnificent family tree. And all we have to do is take our little dead branch and join it to this beautiful tree. And then we get to have the life of that tree flow through us. One great image from uh, the Hebrew celebration of Hanukkah is a menorah. Uh, and this is really, I think, points straight to Jesus. And I think we have a picture of it. But it's a candle, right, with many lights. But then if you ever really look at a menorah, you see that it's actually a tree. That it's a, a tree that creates the light. And then there's a middle candle that's bigger than all the other candles that represents the Messiah. That for us is Jesus Christ, the saving one. And then all the other candles that are the lights that are part of the family that create the light. And so that's why we're here to join in this great lineage. And 
I also, since I get the opportunity, want us to think about three things in our discipleship walk. So we think about our lives and how do we make this possible in our practical reality in the day-to-day for this Advent. And the first is just think about our time. And I know for me, this is a busy time, right? And a lot of us, we come to the end of the year, we have a lot to do, a lot to finish, a lot to accomplish. We're coming to the end. Maybe we procrastinated and we just have uh, to get to the end of the finish line, so we press on and we, we go really hard at the end. Not only that, but then we add to it all these celebrations. We add uh, having to buy Christmas presents and uh, do, do uh, different events and all these things and decorate and all the things that we add. And so, as has been depicted in so many Christmas movies, and I'd like to remind you again, that's not what this is about. Perhaps what you need again this year is time to be with each other, to be with your children, to not let the things you're doing get in the way of who you're being and how you're being with the ones you love and your family and to let God take care of time, take care of what you need to trust that again this year he will come through with what you need to live your life and you can spend that time. You can invest in your relationships, finances. In 2018, there was a study, and I'm sure it has not gotten much better, that the average American goes $1,000 in debt in this time of year, just trying to provide Christmas to keep up with everybody else who seems to be able to do Christmas and afford everything in their life and look so perfect on the outside. But there's really no reason why celebrating Jesus' birth, the one who takes us out of our debt, the one who liberates us, would somehow make us think that we need to go into debt in order to celebrate his life. There's so many ways we can celebrate. And also, this church would like to help if there's no way for you to celebrate Christmas this year. Because Jesus is the forgiver of all debt. And then finally, the last thing we can think about is our families. Now, we just came from Thanksgiving, so that's probably on your mind. And some of us had beautiful Thanksgivings. Maybe some of us had awkward Thanksgivings. Some of us uh, didn't get to do Thanksgiving with our family because we live far away. Um, There's so much we're thankful for in our family, but there's also a lot of things that we struggle with within our own families. And so this family tree isn't a perfect family tree. Nobody comes from a place where everything is perfect and right and that there's no struggle or dysfunction. Then we add to that uh, the fact that there's probably people uh, from our family tree that used to be with us, and now they're gone. And so there's loss and grief and pain from that. And so how does the branch, how does the branch of Jesus Christ 
Take that bitterness and make it sweet. Well, I think it has something to do with the acknowledgement that the pain we feel in loss is actually an ache that comes from the love that we shared. And I think what Jesus reminds us and the family of God reminds us is that there's been so many that have lit these candles of hope, peace, love, and joy for so long. And though there were challenges in their day and dysfunction in their day and dysfunction in their families and their Christmases look different than our Christmases, but their hope was the same was that they would give to us a better world, a better Christmas. And that's our hope as well. That's what we carry on for them. We complete it in many ways and we plant new seeds where new seeds need to be planted. But the promise of the righteous branch is that what is a little unpromising, insignificant twig is growing. And it's growing with great significance from Nassar to Baruch, from garden to garden, from Genesis to Revelation. And so my prayer is that you would not underestimate the little branch from the land of forgotten twigs that has the power to change your bitterness into joy and to make your time, your money, and your grief into a powerful resource for the mercy and beauty and hope that God desires to reveal in you and in us. So may we join with Jesus Christ this Christmas season And may we live the way he desires for us to live. Will you pray? Lord Jesus, join us now to your vine, to your great righteous branch that grows with such beauty. We desire to participate in this beauty, in this life, this health, this growth. So make us... uh, by your power and your might and your grace, part of this family. And may we also extend our branches to all who might need shade this holiday season. They might come to know your joy in the land of the living. In your powerful and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Will you stand and